morning and uh, about this potential change for us, a potential shift in facility. And um, you know, it's, you know, looking at a lot of different things, and sometimes you're trying to look at it with your your your, your best. You know, you're looking at uh, pros and cons, and you're praying and you're thinking about people and all this kind of stuff. And so I was, God, I was asking God, what do you, what is it that you want me to share about this morning? And uh, I, I sense the Lord said, talk about being stubborn. And I thought to myself, well, who in our church is being stubborn? <laughs> Certainly it's not me, right? Because when people ask me or tell me or accuse me of being stubborn, you know what I say to them? I say, no, not, not I'm not stubborn. I say, you must be stubborn. No. But we could all get a little bit set in our ways. And, you know, when it comes to potential in change, we always want to be open to what the Lord is saying, but we would never want to make a decision because we were stubborn, because we were set in our ways, that we were unable to hear what the Holy Spirit was saying to us. Now, let me ask you this real quick. How many here have ever been accused of being stubborn? Yeah. Yeah, I know. A lot of us here. A lot of us here. We all can get that way, a little set in our ways, a little bit stubborn. We're kind of on the path, and we don't want anybody to change the path that we're on. We don't want anybody to mess with the steps that we're taking. Like, if you wanted to tell me about a different taqueria to go to, I would dig my heels in. There's no other taqueria than my taqueria. We can all get that way a little bit. We're unwilling to be shifted. We're unwilling to be changed. And most importantly, sometimes we can be stubborn towards the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to sometimes move us and shift us towards the path and the plan that He has for us. But sometimes we can be so fixed in our ways that we miss what the Lord has for us. This reminds me of a story that, to tell you the truth, I don't know if it's true because as I was reading about it, there's, you know, people that say, oh, this is absolutely true. Here's the transcript. And then other people say, oh, this is, you know, made up, you know, specifically the people that were involved with this. There's no way this is true, okay? But it's a story, and you may have heard it before, about this U.S. naval ship that was off the coast of Newfoundland, and they were coming into this area where it was very foggy, and this U.S. naval ship couldn't see anything. But up popped up on their radar that there was another vessel that was in their path. And so the uh, captain decided that he was going to initiate a conversation with this other vessel, and so he got on the radio and... He said this, he said, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision with us. The response came from some Canadians. <laughs> yeah, a Canadian here. Just like, by the way. It's kind of funny, Americans and Canadians, we've had this thing going on for a while here. So anyway. The Canadians respond back to the U.S. naval ship. We recommend you divert your course 15 degrees south to avoid a collision. Well, the American naval captain says, let me make myself more clear. This is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course 15 degrees north to avoid a collision. The Canadian's response? No. We say again. You divert your course 15 degrees south 
to avoid a collision. Now the captain responds with a little bit more authority and more clarity. And he gets on the the radio and he says, This is the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States, the Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadian's response, this is a lighthouse. (laughs) Your call. that others got to get out of our path because we are set in our ways. We can get a little stubborn like that captain, right? We can think that our way is the best way, or sometimes we say our way or the highway. Sometimes we think that our course is the right way and we can get a little bit stubborn or foolish about our direction or our path. We can get fixed. We too can get stubborn, can't we? Sometimes we don't actually use that word like stubborn because it's a bit negative. But we use terms like, I get a little stuck in my ways. Or I march to the beat of my own drum. Or we say, that's stubborn or fixed-minded or get a little bit more critical. We say, oh, that's even arrogant. But the question is, is then how do we keep from this behavior? Because sometimes petty things can happen, but in other situations, it could cause problems. There could be a potential collision. It could cause chaos. It can cause breakdown in relationships if we're unwilling to shift, if we're unwilling to change. What's the solution? The Bible gives us a solution. It's one word. The Lord gives us a tool to keep us from getting fixed and getting set in our ways that would cause collision or consequence. The solution is this. Repentance. Repentance. Now, repentance, you might think, oh, repentance, that's, that's not what I was expecting for you to say. But you see, sometimes we don't fully under, understand the definition of repentance because sometimes we think it's a feeling that we have. That when we have this sense of guilt or that we have a sense of remorse or that we have a feeling of conviction. But repentance is more than just admitting that you were on the wrong path or admitting that you were wrong. Repentance is more than just an apology. Let me define for you what repentance is. It comes from the Greek. It's a Greek word that is pronounced metanoia. Everybody say metanoia. Metanoia. Yeah, that's the Greek word for repentance. But it's actually more commonly translated as turn. More commonly translated in the New Testament, it's saying you turn. You turn from your way. You turn from the path that you were on. You return to the right path. Now, could you imagine that captain of that naval, naval ship? And he realizes that he was wrong. And he responds to the lighthouse, Oh, I was wrong. You're right. Oh, silly me. You're right. I was wrong. I admit it. 
And he begins to tell the other people that he, you know, in his, uh, on the boat and, and the other you know, boats that were accompanying him, he says, guys, I was wrong. Ah, I was so set in my ways. <laughs> but he continued on the path. You would say, buddy, captain, turn the ship. Turn the ship. You see, if you don't make a turn from your path, then it's not truly repentance. It's just feeling a sense of, uh, of sorrow and sadness and, and guilt and admitting it. But that's only half the battle. The other half is making change, making a shift. The thing is, is that repentance is actually very critical for our lives. It actually is so pivotal for us being able to find the purpose that God has for us. And the intent he has. Because if we're not able to pivot, if we're not able to change courses, then we can find ourselves on a path that can end up being destructive and consequential if we're unable to turn. If we're unable to repent, then we're just headed in one direction for some type of collision or consequence. So repentance requires action. It's not just an internal feeling. It causes us to actually make a decision to determine to change, to make a decision to go in a different direction, to change my mind or have a change of heart. I remember a friend of mine, I was telling him, I had told him something that I really believed, and then I thought about it some more, and I went back to him and I said, can I change what I just said? And he said, absolutely. He's like, I wish people would say that more often, that they would go back and they would rethink what they had said. You know what, I had a change of heart, and I was thinking, I think this is more what I wanted to say. This is what I think is more right. You see, repentance is making the choice to change. That's what repentance is. It's saying, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make, I'm going to make a change here. And it, de- it demands a decisive response. I was going in this direction, but now I am going in this direction. I'm changing courses. That's repentance. So admitting is not fully repenting. We only think we are sorry, we only are saying that we're sorry or admit it that we're heading down the wrong direction, but all we do is admit it, then we just continue to go heading down the wrong direction. It's like, oh, I'm going the wrong way, I'm doing the wrong things, I'm heading down the wrong path. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. But still going down the wrong path. That's not repentance. We are only repentant when we make a turn, get off the path, and we change direction. Sometimes we treat repentance the wrong way. We confess our sin. We share about our shortcoming. We feel guilty. Maybe even sometimes we cry a little bit. And then we console each other. It's okay. Everybody sins. We all, we all make mistakes. We all fall short. But this is only admitting. This is only confessing. But repentance requires change, a different course, a new path. And this is all too common sometimes with God's people. That we find ourselves admitting, we find ourselves confessing, we find ourselves realizing that we're wrong, but then we find ourselves continuing down the same path, making the same choices being on the same path that we were on before. And people can be this way. But in the foundation of our Christianity, it tells us something's very different. We have become ones that have made a change. 
We have become ones who have met Christ, understood the reality of the cross, and we made a choice. We made a decision to follow Jesus. And for some of us, it was like a 180. And we can say, I once was this way, but now I'm this way. We made a change. That is really sometimes the difference between somebody who calls himself a Christ follower and someone who doesn't. That we have the ability, we've found Christ, and so we've repented. We've repented for a way, and we've made a course correction. But one of the problems is that Christians will often sometimes share their testimony about how Christ changed their life. And it's a one-time event. It happened back 20 years ago. You know, I was, this happened, this happened, and I changed my life. And I said, I followed Christ, and I quit doing what I was doing. But then they stopped changing. They have one testimony. But Jesus doesn't want us to have a testimony. He wants, to have, he wants us to have a life of testimony. He wants us to have countless stories of his transforming power through his loving grace. He wants us to be constantly repenting, constantly changing, constantly saying, the Lord's here, I'm following him, I'm following him, I've made him, I'm following him, I'm changing courses constantly, I'm pursuing Christ. This people thing that many of us deal with, it's not just a Christian thing, it's a people thing that it's very difficult for us to sometimes change, isn't it? It's sometimes difficult for us to fully repent, to fully change course. It's hard. What I'm talking about here is hard. The reality is, is that it's not impossible for us to turn. It's not impossible for us to change. It's just it's difficult. This kind of reminds me of, of a time in my life when I, I was about 15 and a half years old and I was eager to start driving. You know, and I was like, man, I just can't wait to start driving. I just, I was so excited. And we lived in Vacaville, which is about an hour and a half or so from here, depending on traffic. Could be three hours. No, I'm <laughs> and my family, you know, it was the second one of like six kids, and uh, we had three cars. Okay, uh, my dad had a car that he used to commute to work, and my mom had a van to fit all of us kids in. And then we had the third vehicle. If you know what I mean by the third vehicle. So this third vehicle was a pickup truck. 1972 Chevy pickup truck. And it was built like a tank. And let me tell you something, at one point in time, I think this pickup truck had its heyday. But that had long gone at this point. You know, I've got to give a little bit of context here because my family are Okies. Anybody know what an Okie is? Yeah, people from Oklahoma. People that were hit hard by the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. And so we just didn't throw anything away. You know, we just felt like the Depression's going to start again tomorrow. And so we just, we held on to everything. And so while most people said, if something is broke, well, you throw it away. But not Okies. We just park it. And we said, we'll fix it someday. And if I can't fix it, we'll use it for something else. Like, that's the Okie mentality. So probably this truck should have been thrown away, but we kept it in case we needed to take something to the dump. It was our dump truck, okay? And it sat out in our, in our, our, on the road in front of our house. And uh, the thing about this truck is that it was, it was this beautiful mustard yellow. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it, it, like I said, it was built like a tank and it had a huge motor in it. And so if you just took your foot off the brake, it would go. I mean, this, this truck was ready to put a hole into something. Like it just, that was its mentality. And so as I was getting ready to, to come up upon 16, I was telling my parents, I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive. You know, it was like they looked at that truck and they looked at me and they grinned. You know, I said, okay, here's your opportunity. So here was the deal. If I could fill that truck up with a bunch of branches, trimming branches in our yard, if I could fill that truck up, I could drive it to the dump. That was really the deal in my house. Pretty oaky, huh? That is oaky to the core, right? There. So anyway, that was the deal for the summer before my 16th birthday that I'd fill this truck over and over and over and I'd get to drive this dump truck to the dump. Now here's the interesting thing about this truck. Now, you know, it was mustard yellow, but the cap of the truck had looked like it had been, uh, had caught on fire. It just, everything was blackened. The steering wheel was completely blackened. There's no horn, no horn, nothing. And it just was this, um, uh, tank-like, you know, yellow mustard thing going through town. And it might sound like I'm complaining, but I'm really not sharing with you what the real problem was. The real problem was this truck did not have power steering. So for me to take a left-hand turn, I had to crank on this wheel about a good seven to ten times. And so for me to make a left-hand turn into some type of intersection, you know, I would stop traffic as I'm trying to make this turn. And I'd be in the middle of this intersection, stopping traffic, until it was all long enough for people to honk at me. And I would have honked back, but I couldn't. There was no horn. This is an illustration of us. It's not impossible for us to turn. It's not impossible for us to change. It's hard. It's difficult. Trying to change means that we have to kind of put something into it. There's a sense of loss. It's hard. Why is it hard for us to repent and turn from our ways, our behavior, our lifestyle? Well, the Lord calls these types of people that find it difficult to change, He calls us stiff necked. No, stiff necked people, you know? Kind of, I like to say it with an accent. I don't think God has an accent, but you know, you don't stiff neck people anyway. But God calls stubborn people, He calls us stiff necks. Acts 7:51 says this: You stiff necks, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Our unwillingness to change means that we are fixed, our necks are stiff, unwilling to listen to the truth. Now, I used to get stiff necks pretty often, and so I ended up going to a chiropractor about it, and he just told me, you need to drink more water. You know, so anyway, it, comes to, it always comes down to that. But I remember dealing with a stiff neck one time, and I used to work at this furniture store, and I 
would drive these, these things around. They're called, uh, I think they're called stackers. They're kind of like forklifts, but they were they're hydraulic, but instead of lifting something up in front of me, you would lift your whole self up, you know? You'd just go up about 30 feet in the air, and then you'd put a mattress or a couch or something on it, and then you'd, you know, go down, and then you'd take it and you'd load it up in a truck. And I did this uh, when I was in college. And uh, one day I had the worst stiff neck. I just, I could not turn my neck at all. It was just so stiff, and and, and it was fine as long as I was going straight, you know? As long as I was going in one direction, I was good. But the problem is I had to go up and down these aisles, and so I had to sort of, like, try to look to the right or look to the left, but I really couldn't because my neck was so stiff. And I was tethered in to this thing, so it wasn't like I could just sort of, like, turn my body and look. So I had to untether myself to turn around to look to see if something was coming. It was really, it was, it was awful. So I remember doing this. I was sent to go get some couch or some order, and uh, it took me forever to come back with that couch. The people probably canceled their order because it took me so long to my stiff neck. You guys know what I'm talking about if you try to change lanes with a stiff neck? You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, it's very difficult because you have to look over your shoulder, and it's easy just to stay straight and not make any moves. And that this is how the Lord describes people who are unwilling to change, unwilling to turn, unwilling to go on a new path or in a different direction. Here's the thing. The problem is not with our necks. The problem is our hearts. Matthew 13, 15 says this, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. With our hearts. So when our hearts are hard, when our hearts are stiff, then that means that our eyes can't see. It means that our ears can't hear. It means that our necks can't turn. (laughs) What kept them from healing and blessing and the life that God had for them was a calloused and hard heart. When our heart is hard, it means that you can't hear and you can't understand what the Lord's trying to say. And it means you you can't listen. It means your eyes are closed and you can't see what God is trying to show you or what he's trying to do. It means that your, your, your neck is stiff and all the physical metaphors for our spiritual condition when our Hearts are hardened. If our hearts weren't hardened, then we would see with our eyes, we would hear with our ears, we'd understand with our hearts, and we'd turn, and we would be healed. We would be restored. We would be changed, transformed, blessed, led, provided for, healed. You see, God has great things in store for us. He has amazing things in store for us. But these things won't be found on a fixed path. When we have, when we're filled with stubborn ambition, we will find the things that God has for us. God would say this to us, you know, hard hearts are just hard to work with. God would say, I need soft hearts so that I have something to work with. Where does this come from? It comes from the story of Jer- from Jeremiah 18. It's the story of the potter and the clay. This is the message that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah, 
I want you to go down to the potter's house. And I'm going to give you a message when you get there. So I, who's Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house, and he saw the potter working with the clay at the wheel. And he was making a pot from clay. There was something wrong with that pot. So the potter used the clay to make a different pot. With his hands, he shaped the pot the way that he wanted it to be. And this is the message that the Lord gave to Jeremiah. It's for the family of Israel. You know that I can do the same thing with you? You are like the clay in the potter's hands, and I am the potter. This message is from the Lord. There may come a time when I speak about a nation or a kingdom that I will put up by its roots or tear down and destroy. But if the people of that nation change their hearts and, and lives and stop doing wrong, I will change my mind and I will not bring disaster upon them. There may come a time when I speak about a nation that I build up or plant, but if I see that nation doing evil things and not obeying me, I will think again about the good I had planned to do for them. So Jeremiah, say to the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, I am the potter, but I'm preparing troubles ahead for you and making plans against you. So stop doing these things, these things that are wrong. Each person must change and start doing good. But the people of Judah will say this, we don't care what you say. We're going to continue to do what we want. We're going to do the evil and continue to have the stubborn hearts that we want. Ah. The potter's story in summary is this, is that God sends Jeremiah to the potter's house, and Jeremiah sees this potter trying to work with the clay, but there's something wrong with the clay. The potter is having a difficult time making it into its intended purpose. But the potter doesn't want to give up on the clay. He decides to make a plan B pot. It's not my intended plan, but I think I can still make something nice out of it. It's not my intentional design, but it can still be beautiful. It can still be functional. But the the clay is being difficult. It's refusing to cooperate. And it's not like the potter wants to get rid of it, but he may come to that point where this lump of clay is unusable and unworkable. So when I imagine a potter using a potting spinning wheel, I imagine this very moist, you know, very pliable material. And it's the lightest touch of the potter's hands or the, 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 the touch of his fingertips, he'd be creating this beautiful masterpiece with such fine detail. But this situation, the potter is doing everything he can, but the clay just won't work with the potter. Hmm. The clay, he just won't cooperate with what the potter intends for him to do. This story is really not about clay and a potter and a pot, is it? It's about people. The potter being God. The clay being us. God is saying, I can do a masterpiece here. I can do a masterpiece. And you individually as well as you collectively. But the thing is, is I, I can't do it. I can't do what my heart desired unless the clay is pliable. Unless the clay is moist. And unless the clay will co- cooperate. And what is he talking about here? He's talking about our hearts. 
God needs soft hearts to do his best work in people. Imagine that guy saying, I can do something amazing. If the hearts are hard, if the hearts are calloused, there's not really a whole lot I can do. And this is where we struggle as people because we have our own minds made up and we have this tendency to strive. We have this tendency to become stubborn in our commitments because we sort of want something and we want to attain something. We have some type of goal that we want to accomplish. And the Lord said, you can't become the pliable, soft heart if you're striving. Instead, you need to be about yielding. A soft heart is when we're not striving for these different things, but we're yielding to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. Because the truth is, is that whenever we strive for something, we strive for something to be great, we always come up short. But when we yield to the Holy Spirit, He always amazes us with the masterpiece that He wants to do in our life. When we strive, we always overwork ourselves and we come up short in some area. But when we become the material for the Master to create His masterpiece in us, that's, that's a sweet spot for the Holy Spirit and the potter to do his work. How do we get there? How do we do it? I, I don't know anything else but then to understand and realize that we're all stubborn. We all get a little hard-hearted. But we can pray prayers. We can sing songs. We can ask the Lord to change our hearts, to change our path, and choose to repent regularly. Not to be afraid of that word. We think repentance is for the real bad, bad, bad people. <laughs> The repentance is for us to make constant changes, constant turns. I want to invite the worship team to come up here. The Lord doesn't just give us this challenge and leave us there with our hard hearts, but instead He give us, gives us promises that He would actually do a quick and amazing, miraculous work of our hearts. We'll take a heart that's hardened and he can make it soft. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says this, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put with them in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. You see, the Lord wants to change our hearts so that we're not fixed, we're not hard, we're not fixed, set in our ways, but He said wants us to become pliable again. But we need to be repentant, asking Him. Maybe it's a verse that we recite, maybe a prayer that we sing, or some type of words that are in our heart. One of my favorites is this song, Change My Heart, O God. Anybody know that one? Change My Heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change My Heart, O God. Happy like you. The Lord wants us to be more soft, more pliable, more moldable, so that we can be more usable. He wants us to be so he can mold us and shape us to the person that he wants us to be. I want to invite the ushers to come forward. And as we pass these elements forward, and uh, by the way,
pass it to the, to the wall. Just pass it right back to the Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Make us moldable and changeable.
blood that was poured out for us, that it would make us pure again. It was as if your blood meant that it would wash us from all iniquities and purities and sin. Said that our sins would be remembered no more. That you would wash us clean. God, we thank you that you give us new life and you give us salvation through your son Jesus. Everybody's heads down and eyes closed. I wanted to give an opportunity that if there's anybody here that would say, I have never begun a relationship with Jesus. I've never said yes to him. I, I have not met him the way that you're talking about today, that I can have a, a, a community a relationship that I can talk to him, that I can know God through Jesus. If you're here today and you want to you want to begin that relationship, you want to say yes to him, I want to give you that opportunity. And nobody's looking around. But if that's you today, I would like for you to just acknowledge it by raising your eyes at me so I can see you and then raising your hands so I know that you're making that decision today. So if you'd like to make that decision today to say yes to Jesus, just slip up your hand. Look at me. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Begin a relationship with Jesus today. I want to ask for everyone to repeat after me as we pray this prayer, especially the one who's saying yes to Jesus. Pray it with your heart. So repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for me so that I can live. I can live with abundance and I can have eternal life. Today I declare that Jesus is my Savior. church that loves you and sees you as our Lord. And we're going to follow you no matter where you take us, Lord. So prepare us, Lord, to be ready for whatever plan, whatever journey you have for us. We're ready. We're your servants. We're your followers. We're ready to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.